Are you ready to create and grow the impactful and profitable business you've been dreaming of? It's all possible. A bigger audience, more impact, and a new revenue stream. We'll show you how. I'm Jenny Barcelos. And I'm Sandy Connery. And this is the Soulful MBA Podcast. Welcome to episode 52 of the Soulful MBA Podcast. This episode is called Flyways. I'm Jenny Barcelos, and I'm joined with my co-host, Sandy Connery, as well as a special guest, Hillary Strobel of the Flyways. Hillary is the CEO of the Flyways, which is a patient capital investment firm. And so this is our very first time bringing an investor onto the podcast, Hillary. We have other episodes about our troubled or confusing relationship with investment in the past as a startup. And so I think this is really exciting because you are an investor that we met at DazzleCon for our audience who we've talked about DazzleCon before on the podcast. And we are really excited to hear your story and your point of view, because I think you have a very unique perspective on investing and on how to grow kind of the next era of businesses that are socially and environmentally responsible. Yeah, I think, Hillary, after we met you at DazzleCon, I think the post-DazzleCon, most conversation with Jenny and I was about Hillary and like, was she real? Was she for real? Like, did she really mean that? Is that how she actually operated? Like, we were just so baffled. Um, and, you know, in amazement at you because it's so different than what we're used to wow. that we're like, is she, oh, I hear a little voice. Um, you know, yeah. she for real? So this is us trying to figure out <laughs> if you are for real, which I'm sure you are. <laughs> well, that's the funny thing about DazzleCon because the whole point of the zebras is that we're real as opposed right. to that mythical unicorn. You know, coming from the side of impact investing and patient capital, um, I don't know that it had occurred to me that from talking to the entrepreneurs, um, which is the two of you, that that w it would seem so unusual and um, far-fetched, I guess, <laughs> um, which um, on some levels is a little bit um, heartbreaking. And that's what we're here to fix, right, right. is to make right. sure that more more people um, hear about what we're doing, not just our company, but all sorts of impact investors and patient capital investors. And But even those words, like they're beautiful yeah. words, like social <laughs> impact investment and patient capital. Yes. Oh. Yeah, patient capital was new to me. I, I have actually had investors, conversations with investors where I've brought up impact investing and been shot down, which we had talked about in person oh, previously, right. but I had never even heard of patient capital. So we're going to get into the definitions here in a second. Okay. But I, I just want to first learn a little bit about your background, Hillary, so that we can, we sure. can share that with our community and how you got into investing. Cause you're not someone who maybe like dreamed of becoming, you know, a venture capitalist or a banker or something from right. an early age. It sounds like you have a really storied experience of getting into <laughs> this, this world. It's so funny that you said storied. So when I was a kid, uh, yeah, I started reading at a young age and all the way through my schooling, I was nothing but reading. And I honestly thought when I was in high school that I would go to college and get a literature degree, which I did get, and uh, that I would go into publishing. And 
while I was in university at San Francisco State University, I got a job. My roommate just happened to mention it one day that she had walked by a campus agency that was offering course credit for kids who volunteered. And so they had a whole wall full of agencies in San Francisco that needed volunteers. And you could go and do that. And then you would get, um, because you kept a journal of your experience, you got English credits. And I was a literature major, so it all made sense. And so I went there and I volunteered and uh, got my course credits. And I was so obsessed with this idea that I ended up getting a job there. And that place was called the Community Involvement Center. And that launched me on this career path of community involvement and community building. Um, it wasn't my first brush with social justice uh, by any means, but it really drilled the point home. So um, I ended up volunteering when I was doing that uh, in a place called Polk Gulch in San Francisco, interviewing young male street prostitutes who were at high risk for AIDS. And, um, and meeting young men who had AIDS, who have certainly passed away by now, um, that was 20 some years ago, and talking to them about their uh, very high risk behaviors and what we could do about that. So, um, and it's something I just started living with. So that's where I got, you know, the, the start. Uh, after college, I had all kinds of random after college jobs that I think a lot of <laughs> liberal arts majors end up having. And long story short, I found myself in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina, and I started a nonprofit there. And uh, we gave away free trees to people. That was our whole reason for being. We just gave trees away. Uh, so we raised money, we bought trees on wholesale, and we just gave them to people. If they said they needed a tree, we gave them one. Um, and it was the most um, oddly non-political, non-strings attached. People couldn't even believe, why would you just give us something? And they honestly, it took a long time to even convince people that we didn't have an agenda we just wanted them to have trees. Um, and so that was a, a huge eye opener in terms of uh, the smallest little impact that you could have that made a difference in somebody's life. Um, uh, and, and so it's funny that it sort of mirrors what we had talked about at DazzleCon, that there isn't an agenda except that you should have a tree <laughs> because everybody <laughs> should have one. And, you know, and when I was talking to the two of you, it was, you have a business idea, you should have investment. There's no strings attached to that, um, or there shouldn't be. Um, so then again, to contract the story back, I had a few more jobs after that. Um, I got into marketing at a certain point, and I thought this was the last tool I needed, which was how to communicate the story very well um, in terms of, of what, you know, what social justice and what social impact could look like. Um, and so I had turned that into my own uh, marketing company, and I wanted to work specifically with social justice companies and tell their stories uh, because I had spent all this time in New Orleans and people were just doing the most incredible creative stuff. And I mean, when people talk about New Orleans, they talk about, you know, Mardi Gras and beer, and then you don't hear so much about this incredibly creative community. Um, who are doing amazing stuff. And so we were t uh, doing some social justice storytelling there. And um, eventually, because we were always a registered benefit corporation, we had a mandate along with our storytelling to donate profits. 
And so we were donating profits to various organizations and that eventually turned into impact investing. So we were in fact investing, not just donating. And then in time, we figured out that we could make a much larger uh, dent in the world if we focused on the impact investing and we had a really great storytelling department. So we could still support that mission, but now the impact investing is the, the main thrust. So uh, in the meantime, I got that, you know, master's degree in social science. Um, this is all to say that I ended up in this career, not at all intending to end up in this career, but it seemed in the, you know, in the long term, having done all of these different things and been in all these different places that, um, you know, you can, you can build up to the things and you learn from your experiences and build up to the things that, you know, kind of turn the light bulb on. That's where, that's where I should be doing the work. So that's how I ended up here. <laughs> so let me ask, at what point did you realize that becoming an investor or an investment firm was the route for you? Was it because you felt like that was where you could have the most leverage or that's where you saw the biggest need? Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. Um, so like I said, uh, you know, we were always about donating profits and you can make a certain dent doing that. I mean, you can really you can really do some exciting, fun stuff. And, and if you've got some good, strong partnerships and a lot of transparency, you can really attract people to that. By accident, I ended up going to SOCAP uh, 16, which is the Social Capital Markets Conference. And that's when I first really got uh, sort of aware, really deeply aware of impact investing. And I saw... Um, you know, and SOCAP is just this huge conference and so many people go there and you can choose very specific tracks that you want to go in. And I chose the, uh, the gender and um, color lens, if you will. Um, so I was going to, you know, the, the people of color conferences and the, and the women investors and the women entrepreneurs color. And I kept running into the same lady over and over again. At, and she was going to all the same ones. And she said, you must meet my lawyer, Jenny Kaysen. And uh, so that's how I met Jenny, who then told me about Dazzle Khan, and here we all are. And Jenny's done a ton of work with the company. But then with meeting Jenny, it was like the lights went on, like impact investing. That's what we must be doing. Uh, at the same time, I was taking a systems design class online. And I, I am a single mother, and I was using my single motherhood to um, inform my studies through the systems design class because I thought my thesis for this class was, how can you empower single mothers? Uh, can, can that be systemic? Can you do that mm -hmm. systematically? Mm -hmm. And I think you totally can. Um, and I identified these ways that I thought you could do that. And one of which was you empower us economically. Um, I mean, single mothers statistically make some of the lowest salaries in the United States. You know, we're very vulnerable financially. Yeah. And so uh, that was all to get into, oh, my God, if you can do this for single mothers, you can do this for everybody. Um, and so then that was where that sort of started to tie the pieces together in terms of, um, you know, as a system effort, if you can do economy differently, where it's supporting the most vulnerable people. Um, then everybody benefits, just everybody. So, um, so that was where all the pieces started to fall into place. And it was, like I said, right about the same time where we figured out as a company then that impact investing as a main focus instead of a side focus, um, you know, that, that collectively we could make a, a huge impact. 
so it still seems a bit of a, a leap to me. Like I understand like you can say, oh, this is where I want to focus and I can see all the good that social impact investment does. That's great. But then to actually do it, to go, okay, this <laughs> is what I'm going to do. Like how do you learn how to all the financing and all the things I don't even know what to ask about to run your own VC firm. Like, how did you make that leap? What did you have to do to actually make this happen? Sure. That's a really good question. So I ended up getting um, an MBA education through a program called No Pay MBA. And I was able to become, <laughs> this is my daughter, by the way. So. Um, <laughs> I ended up because those um, MBA classes are being offered um, all online and they are some of the most creative classes, then I was able to piece together a social entrepreneurship uh, degree. And then, uh, so that includes things like social finance and how to do financial modeling for the social sector. Um, and. Uh, and, and then especially Social Entrepreneurship 101. I want to give a real shout out to that class because that was a real game changer. Um, and that's run through the um, a, an organization called Acumen Plus. Oh, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I love so Acumen. Oh, my God. They're the most yeah. amazing. So <laughs> um, I love them so much. And I still I still work with them as a volunteer. So um, it's it's that's been a, like a three year relationship. And so, yeah, so there's lots of different ways that different people might want to figure out how to make that happen. But that's how I ended up getting that education in terms of um, knowing how, you know, financial modeling for the social sector is a little bit different than financial modeling for a, a traditional typical business, um, because you're also factoring in your social impact and also how to design social impact metrics, um, which, you know, can have a, a can, they can have an enormous effect on your you know your financial bottom line um and then so how to integrate those things and through the course of that then i met um our current uh finance person who um, is a wonderful wonderful guy um who has that background officially and so then he's taken that torch and is doing that for us um so it's really just a matter of being willing to experiment um, and I took a ton of classes, you know, I only really needed to take a handful and I took probably four times more than I really needed to, um, just to learn all of the different bits and pieces. Um, I cannot overstate, um, the, the importance of having mentors who are working in social impact, um, who can tell you like where to find the people who need the most help. So that's a, a huge piece that everybody needs. And a lot of it was just sheer, uh, you know, luck and having connections with people that I've known for 20 years. So in fact, I, you know, somebody that I knew from the Community Involvement Center 20 years ago reached out to me last night and said, I, I'd like to figure out how I can support what you're doing, you know? Oh, and great. so just by managing to keep those connections. <laughs> Yeah, so I, you know, it's it's so interesting to me that your story illustrates, I think, for our community that if you have an interest, that there's a way, regardless of your circumstances, to 
sort of pursue that goal or that dream. I mean, deciding as a single mother without a background in banking or investment (laughs) that you're not having worked at an investment firm or anything, that you're going to start your own and then find free online, basically MBA school and classes Mm -hmm. that that you need to figure out what to do to become a, a VC. Like that, that to me just illustrates to anyone listening in our audience that you're fully capable with with who you are and what you have available to you in our mo- modern culture that you're fully capable of, of taking on that sure. dream and yeah. and finding a way to do it. I mean, you know, w- when you're talking about being a single mom and I, I think pursuing this from that place of single motherhood, we have so many clients on our platform who are, you know, m- maybe listening to this podcast who I know are struggling to build their own business or communities with their teaching and their, you know, with, with what's in their heart. And I, I just want to give a shout out to those women because, you know, we have people who come to us, quite famous people who, who ask, you know, for free services or a free, you know, year or two of our product. And we often say to them, you know, we have this community of people who are paying and who Mm -hmm. are working, you know, within what we've built. Um, so how can we, justify giving you something for free right. when yeah. when you know those the, anyway <laughs> so so it's any and our relationship to sort of single mothers is is important i think Yay. as well <laughs> yeah it's so possible it's so funny cuz from you know from my perspective i get told all the time there's something wrong with me why couldn't you keep your man you know <laughs> why should i support your irresponsible lifestyle um and there's a real recognition of parenting is hard anyway, but when you're yeah. doing it on your own, it's really hard uh, and extremely rewarding. I want to be clear. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the nice thing about choosing to do this online um, and there are so many unbelievable options. So I, I happen to do this one particular program called No Pay MBA. But, you know, you could go to, say, Uh, Harvard and Harvard will offer an online only version at a fraction of the cost of a typical bricks and mortar uh, Harvard education. Um, I ended up getting my classes certified through UC Berkeley. And so as far as Berkeley is concerned, I am a UC Berkeley alumnus. And and now I have access to the whole alumni network, including venture capitalists who are like, how can we support you? and that whole thing cost me $200 from start to finish. And I was able to, uh, my daughter was very young when I started that. So I was able to do most of those classes while she was taking naps or after she had gone to bed at night. Um, sometimes she even sat in on the calls. Uh, you know, I would be breastfeeding her just off screen, you know, and, and having these uh, conversations. And through that particular organization then built a tremendous network. So that's another piece that I think is really important is that if you're creative about it, everybody talks about the the network that you get. You know, uh, you go to Harvard and, and you've got the Harvard network for life. But if you're really creative about it and willing to, um, to invest the time in going and, and finding those people, those mentors and those collaborators, you can build the exact same network through these online communities. And then as I've said, you know, that leads me to people who want to support, you know, us through venture capital. And that's introduced me to uh, X number of people. And uh, that's actually how I found out about SoCap, by the way, which then led me to DazzleCon and to the two of you and blah, 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 blah. And, and I never set foot in a 
an actual business school, a uh, physical business school. So there's ways to make all of this stuff work if you're willing to sort of seek it out. Um, the resources are out there and, um, and they're available at sort of every pay level. Yeah. That's, it's super yeah, powerful. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> so now that you're here and you kind of, ha- you have to basically play matchmaker, right? You've got to find people who have money who would like to invest in the type of companies that you're looking for. So what are your, what are you currently working on? Like who are the people that are, are, are giving you money to invest and who are the companies that you are investing in? Well, we have three areas that we're really excited to focus on in terms of those types of companies. Um, and so we've got women-owned businesses. Um, we're very um, very excited to participate in, in gender equity. And we think that one of the best ways to do that is to get women participating in the economy, in the formal economy. So if we can formalize some of these businesses that women are doing, um, they're already entrepreneurs, but um, they might be doing something as low, um, you know, low payout as a, a daycare out of their home and that a venture capitalist is never going to want to give a daycare service provider you know, several million right. dollars because there's no hmm. there's no catch for a, a, a VC um, all the way up to, you know, uh, people like Ania, who uh, was at DazzleCon, who's got, you know, a multi-million dollar company. But if we're getting all of those women, you know, kind of participating at an equal rate, um, then that's a, a real gender equity win. We're also looking at green infrastructure. So those companies that are doing really creative stuff around uh, civil planning and um, environmental restoration. And uh, also we're looking at the uh, legalized marijuana industry. So uh, state by state, it's becoming legal and there are a huge, huge a number of investment opportunities. So our main project for 2018 that we're starting to fundraise for right now, we just opened a round on Friday for this is a, a, a project called Pivotal Farms. And this is a woman-owned, you know, legal marijuana industry, green infrastructure because it's a regenerative agriculture project. And so it ticks all of our boxes. So that's that's one of the main ones we're doing. And the people who want to support that, like I said, are the people who 20 years ago were really excited about giving college kids credit for, you know, for, um, for going and volunteering. Um, you know, we're getting lots of people who just are out of the box thinkers, you know, um, I've got $5,000 and I'm not sure what to do with it. You know, can you, can you give me some advice? Um, you know, so it's not necessarily accredited investors and we haven't had too much interest from, from accredited investors just yet because we're relatively new and, and we're, we're gaining some, uh, some traction. So we're getting some proof of concept you know, and really creative types, like say in, in, uh, in Hollywood, who are really excited about, um, about supporting stuff that's, that's creative and, and innovative and progressive. Um, so those are some of like on the investor sides, you know, there's people who are just really interested in, um, you know, and we like to say that we're not a high risk company. I mean, we've really vetted the organizations we want to work with. So we're not taking super huge risks here, but we're also excited that the people who want to invest with us are people who are a little bit risky, you know, risk takers, yeah. <laughs> uh, Really, I like to. I prefer to think of it more like they're just creative. They want to get creative with their money. Yeah. Um, they don't want to go and invest in the stock market, you know, just because it exists. They want to do something that's really community oriented and a little bit different. 
This is so interesting to me. So much to say. Like, first of all, <laughs> I, here here's my hypothesis, and I want to know if you agree with it. I believe that in order to create the new economy and the businesses that will sort of thrive in a new future, we have to have a new kind of investor and a new yes. kind of investment model because the same, you know, same creates same, like creates like. Mm-hmm. And just from having had so many conversations with VC firms and investors in the last couple of years, it's it's amazing to me how it's almost like having the same conversation over and over and over and over. There was, there are of course exceptions, and I was always grateful and excited every time I found somebody who was willing to think outside the box. But what what you're saying, I mean, I, it sounds like to me what patient capital represents is less risky than what traditional VC represents because you're choosing companies that are able to make a profit, which most startups are not in a position to do, intentionally maybe, but still they're not. And so in a way it's less risky, it's just slower growth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so to me, like that makes it more appealing to regular people, right? To be able to put their money into something that's more predictable. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> It, it, it really is. I'll tell you um, a conversation that I had with a woman. You know, I first met her because uh, as she's an investor and I first met her because she was really excited about trying to figure out how to get um, healing services. Uh, so a massage and Reiki and, and that type of thing to people who couldn't necessarily afford it. She was hoping that um, people who were more well off would pay forward sessions to people who couldn't afford them. And because her whole deal was, how do I just do something awesome for people? And when I started talking to her about, have you thought about, you know, investing and actually growing your money? So not just, I mean, because don't get me wrong, what she wanted to do is amazing. And I so support it. But but go bigger, you know, take that, take that a step bigger. What if you had a whole network of healers? What if you could take that network to all 50 states? What if you could, and, and the way to do that is by growing the investment. And the more I talked to her, the more she said, my God, I just need to think more like a businesswoman about this. Like you can still do good and be that person and do it in a very intentional way, but you can in fact grow it sustainably. Uh, so that it's not just this very localized effort. It is a localized effort, but you can grow it globally. Um, and yeah, like I said, the wonderful thing about patient capital is that you're totally not. It, the whole deal that I find with stock markets and exits and all of this and, and what what the zebras have been calling unicorn companies is that it's you're essentially gambling with your money. Um, it's a casino economy, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And look at what happens every five to 10 years. The whole thing shuts down um, because right. somebody gambled, gambled a little too much with your money. <laughs> and then the whole thing crashes and then we all suffer for it, except for those 10 people uh, who got out, who bet on it failing. And then um, who got out at the exact right moment. Precisely. Well, they can see it coming. They know. I tell everybody about this. Um, I saw this movie, The Big Short, and I had never thought about it from that perspective. Um, the actor who plays the main. Uh, so this is all about people betting. They were betting on the housing market failing in 2008, and they made billions of dollars and the actor Steve Carell plays one of those guys and he's giving an interview on one of the talk shows and he said I don't even know if you can I mean the movie is about my character but am I the protagonist Uh, you know because he knew that people were going to suffer and he made money off of it 
Um, and so that's what those guys do is they, they spend their days hunting for the next failure and they bet on it. You saw what happened with Blue Apron. I, I mean, I, I think the whole, the whole system is just rigged against human beings. Like, yes. like yeah. all these people that had put their careers into a startup and then right before the IPO, they get laid off before their options vest, right? Like, yes. it's just yeah. story after story, startup after startup. And right. it's the same thing with the house. It's like, it is like, I don't, I think this is why business gets a bit bad rap, right? Like yeah. people like us here, the three of us don't want to participate in that. And right. so for a long time, I was so turned off by the idea of, of having a business or working for a business or having anything to do with a business that I didn't need to have, right? Like I, I'm so disgusted by that kind of behavior. And yet, you know, here we are and it's, you know, the end of 2017, there's this little group of us in the world and in the business space starting to have conversations about a new way that's, that's yeah. actually supportive of like human beings and the environment and yes. justice and goodness. And like that to me is remarkable. Like I, I just <laughs> feel like we should be jumping up and down with excitement that this, this conversation, even in our own tiny little corner of the internet and you know, <laughs> where we live is happening. Yeah, absolutely. I think that gets to exactly what that woman I just mentioned said, where she said, I just didn't occur to her that you could, in fact, think like a business person and still do a good thing. Yeah. Um, and she was so fired up by that. Another thing I wanted to get to in what you just said, and uh, so what my company means, what the Flyways means when we talk about doing economy is taking that whole concept back to what it used to be. I have a person on our team who is from Greece who's just, I'm going to totally stab Greek and <laughs> do, do, <laughs> do wrong by it. But the original Greek word, so I'm not going to attempt to pronounce it, uh, for economy meant household management. And I think we can, in fact, and should, and it's desperately necessary that we do take economy back to this idea of household management and community management. And uh, so when we talk about a local meets global approach, that's what we want. Like you have to, and I think, you know, the, the disaffection that people on both sides of the aisle feel around politics these days is in fact, because the little guy has been forgotten, uh, you know, in the name of these, you know, these gamblers who know how to rig it. And so if we can take economy, doing economy back to this idea of how do we do uh, make a household manageable, you know, is is your household just you, you know, me and my daughter or is the household the, the town that I live in? Is my household the community that I care about? I happen to have lots of uh, online connections. So that's my little community. And and I need to manage that household or the whole planet, right? Like, uh, right, exactly. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can define it. You define it however you need to, but it's but it's about having um, the scale, the connection to scale that makes mm -hmm. sense. So, um, ideally, we should be taking this global because we live in a global world, uh, and we are interconnected. I don't see that that's a bad thing, but what I do see as a bad thing is that when we forget that those are actual people that we're talking about. We forget about the humanity. Yeah. In graduate school, I, I studied the relationship between capitalism and climate change. I wrote this treatise, if you will, on this idea that hyper growth driven capitalism is incompatible with justice and sustainability, that climate change will continue to occur as yes. long as we are allowing ourselves to be controlled by this mindset of hyper growth. Yep. That's the danger in, in business is 
this focus on hyper growth, that's what I think is, is destroying the startup ecosystem as well. The growth itself is not the problem. It's this artificially mandated growth that externalizes the costs of that growth onto other people or other systems. So we're all sort of on the same page that, you know, like the biggest criticism that we get or that we were getting when we were fundraising was you guys are just trying to build a lifestyle business. Like Uh. the way you're setting this up is your lifestyle business. And I wanted to say, no, we're a software company. We have plans for growth. We have revenue. We're profitable, what, like which is unheard of in, in the startup world, basically. And yet, because our growth is not 100x per year, at least our goal for that <laughs> right. growth, right? It, therefore, we're a lifestyle business. And to me, like 100x per year is insane. And what that does to the people who are building that company Yes. And to the user base that you have to manipulate to get there is unfair, unjust, and not supportive of what we were trying to build. And so I think that it's just, we're so grateful that, that you know, there are <laughs> investors and in, folks in the investment community that are supportive of this idea of a slower growth model, because that's actually what's available to be sustained in the long term. <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is a tool designed to help you teach, train, and coach from anywhere on the planet. If you're a wellness professional looking to take your business to the next level, you can learn more at namastream.com. And Hillary, do you find that the investors that come to you, are they, do you need to explain the concept of patient capital? Like all that we hear about in the news is just what Jenny was saying, all these unicorns and these billion dollar companies. And that's sort of what people think about when they talk about investing. Um, do you need to kind of explain to them or are they just so ready to hear it that they just jump on the idea? <laughs> It's so funny that you ask that because, uh, as I said, you know, we haven't sort of penetrated into the accredited investors so much mm-hmm. just yet, which the, those are the people who, yeah. um, let's see, I think they're supposed to have a salary of what, 250000 a year, or they have a million dollars worth of assets. Okay. They're rich people, so they are very already savvy about this stuff. Um, the people that we have been talking to who are so super excited are hungry to hear because they up until very recently have been totally shut out of investing at all, um, unless they were, um, you know, investing in the stock market, uh, which is very risky, or unless they, you know, maybe, uh, for example, I bank at a credit union. So, you know, you might make some investments through your bank or your credit union. Um, and so they're just so excited that there's something available. So mostly what I end up talking to them about is just, like I said in that example um, earlier, is just that you can, in fact, do good while making some money and that businesses are not inherently evil um, if they adopt you know, this kind of triple bottom line model. I actually like to use the quadruple bottom line model. So I do find myself explaining this, which is, you know, the standard three bottom line, you know, of people, profits and planet, but then adding in meaning and spirituality, mm-hmm. um, which I think also goes to that connection to people piece. Um, so I do find explaining the philosophy to people and that I find on a societal level, people are hungry to hear that. 
and they do like that it's being applied to investing. But I mm-hmm. don't find that there's a lot of confusion about that you could, in fact, make money doing that. Um, I think people people who are sort of new to the investing world are just, you know, uh, they're almost like a... I don't like the word blank slate, but they're, they're almost just, they're just so, so excited and willing to try stuff. And that's know, really, all yeah. just changed recently in the United States because of the right. the last, I think it was last year, 2016, May? Two years ago. Two years ago, 2015, of the that, that allowed people to invest who weren't accredited investors. Right, exactly. You know, our lawyer Jenny has been talking about, you know, the 97% of Americans who are in fact investors who are not venture capitalists. And those right. are like your grandmother and your next door neighbor, uh, you know, who have, a, you know, a couple of thousand in savings or, you know, whatever it is. Um, or they've got a, you know, something that they were intending to, um, you know, say, uh, do a will and they were going to do a perpetual donation to something or another. I mean, they're investing right. in stuff, but they don't yeah. see themselves as they're certainly not defining themselves as venture capitalists. And so there's in, this incredible pool of people um, who are looking for something just exactly like this, um, you know, that's that's low risk. So, you know, I also wanted to go back to this point, you know, we're not doing this hundred times evaluation per year uh, because we're not expecting an exit. You know, we want to support companies like what you guys have, which is that you are already generating revenue. You're not building towards a, a particular exit. You're not looking to get bought out by Google or whichever crazy company, you know? Um, I just think there's a real hunger for people to support businesses like yours because they, you know, these investors want to see the two of you specifically succeed and then companies that are like yours. Um, not because they're trying to make a, a gob of money, because they just want to see you succeed. <laughs> it's really exciting. I feel like our community, our our investors, we crowdsource our investment from our user base. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's the old fashioned way of doing business. <laughs> but, <laughs> right? you, you know, you know, there there is a point at which if we wanted to grow more quickly, we would we would pursue outside investment beyond our user base um, in order to spend more money faster, right, to get more users quicker or to to build a new feature or something a little faster. And it's something that we're constantly teasing out and weighing the options for. And so I think that knowing as, as, you know, as being the founders of a boots an essentially bootstrap software company knowing that there is investment out there that is appropriate for us should we choose to pursue it is very freeing and it feel we feel very supported right but also knowing that that's we may choose never to take it and right. um it's it's just something that we can consider as we're you know making our yearly plan for our our business and our company and figuring out what's right for us as founders and what's right for our users and our community and and so knowing that that's a choice it's not black or white either or that there's there's actually options to right. you know we may change our mind next year and take on investment and um it's very freeing to know that as a CEO of this company I can make the decisions in real time based on what's best for my people yeah absolutely so thank you <laughs> Oh, that's so exciting. Hey, you're welcome. I'm how thrilling. Uh, (laughs) It's so exciting to know that there are businesses out there like yours that put the people who work there so far up in importance and, and, um, you know, that it's about your company and building a product and building a community 
because, you know, the, the other part of this, you know, impact investing and patient capital needs to have businesses that are willing to be patient as well. Um, you know, because there are plenty of entrepreneurs out there who totally love that explosive growth. And that's their their deal. So, I mean, it's great that there's investors out there for them, but there needs to be, I mean, this has to be symbiotic for you and for me, right? So, um, so thank you. (laughs) Um, It kills me when I read these articles about uh, Silicon Valley employees who are being exploited and expected to work, you know, 80 or 100 hours a week. And they're so happy to do it because they're working in a Silicon Valley company. um, yeah, and I, I'd love to take that mindset and do away with it. But I know that those people are out there and that's cool. Um. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, even even the founders, I mean, when we just made the decision to go into a startup accelerator, I read a ton of books about what it means to be a founder in this in, in the startup world and the legal books and sort of the technical books. And it's it's quite easy for even one of the co-founders to get displaced out of the company right. you know after one and a half rounds of investment and you know i think a lot of people don't understand like let alone how risky it is for the employees in that space um it's it's quite you're signing over the soul of your company the instant you decide to take on a round of investment and if you have the right pool of investors um there you know that you trust then then it's fine but in this economy that shifts <laughs> and control of the company can shift so quickly. And yeah. I just want to say too, like our clients protecting them is, I, I sort of have like, I'm not their lawyer, but I feel like I have this like protector role over the people who use our product. Because if we were to get acquired, you know, there's nothing I can do to protect those people right. from who, whomever takes over the business. And so there's, there's just like so many layers there when when you're building a company in this way from a place of mindfulness and care and I think generosity um, you think about every single decision differently and so and and we need we I think we need founders to be willing to take it on and to grow more slowly so that they can have that maintain that control and and really you know have a social purpose mission behind what they're doing agreed I think I think um, a big piece of what I always envisioned in terms of doing this, getting into this particular field was that uh, flyways would always be part of an ecosystem. So that includes the founders such as yourselves and everybody that was at DazzleCon and everybody who wished they could make it to DazzleCon and couldn't uh, and, or who eventually will uh, join the, you know, these types of people with this mindset. Um, And that was always a a deal for me. So, um, you know, a flyway as an, it's an ecological term. A flyway is a migratory bird route. Um, So as a bird is traveling for the seasons, um, the flyway would would include everything that supports the bird in that migration. So trees, uh, water supplies, food, um, even to, uh, you know, people in so far as they are envi- environmental stewards or they are hunters uh, who hunt responsibly, what, what have you. Um, and even though the bird is the keystone species, the, the bird doesn't make it without everybody else working in concert. And so it was always meant for the flyways to be part of a system and, and always to see ourselves as never in a vacuum, never in a silo. Because I think, you know, certain kinds of founders really do think they're alone, um, especially if they can't attract that big VC money 
Um, <laughs> and then other impact investors are like, where's everybody else in this impact investing field? You know, what, what's, what's everybody else doing? Um, and so when we can start to really integrate that, then, then we become nothing short of a whole movement that you can't really get away, you know, you can't stop that. So <laughs> yeah. um, the strength in yeah. numbers, all the cliches that go with that. So Yeah, that's really beautiful. Um, that's a really, I didn't yeah, recognize thanks. that from your, um, the title of your company, but that's really, uh, love well, it. you know, uh, I think mostly ecologists and ornithologists, yeah. you know, know I'm this not term, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, it was one more kind of oddball piece to my education, um, right. that was about taking ecology classes. Well, and I lived in new Orleans and, um, so there's a, the Mississippi Valley flyway. It's one of four in North America and, uh, all the birds come to, um, southeast Louisiana and they tank up and uh, you know they get watered up and they sleep uh, get all the sleep they need and they eat all the food and then they fly over the Gulf of Mexico to the Yucatan and so the further that the Louisiana coastline recedes the harder it is for those birds to fly over the Gulf of Mexico and it's why you know rebuilding that community that ecosystem in southeast Louisiana is so crucial um, and so that was where that idea came from that, you know, certainly just giving trees away to people because it didn't just benefit the people living there, obviously. Right. Um, but, uh, but that idea that, you know, when you hurt one of us, you hurt all of us. And so, uh, okay. or as, you know, Martin Luther King talks about, injustice in one place is an injustice everywhere, you know. My God, I'm sorry. I just totally butchered <laughs> Martin Luther King's words. Oh, so bad. You got the message across. <laughs> it reminds me of Wangari Mathai's work oh, yes. with the Greenbelts oh, Alliance, God. the Greenbelt Movement work in, in Eastern Africa. So yes. I, I, what you're saying appeals to me so much. The other mm. thing that this is triggering for me is it's it's sort of your, you've built this ecosystem of investors out of a place of destruction and economy that's built on destruction where we have... Um, in wars, I used to study war in the environment, and we have uh, former war zones like the the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea has now become this flourishing habitat for migratory birds. So it's built out of the ashes and out of the ruin and out of the destruction. We have these sort of beautiful places of rebirth and regeneration. I love I love that. I didn't catch any of that about the the story of the flyways, and and now it is even more meaningful to me. So <laughs> thanks for sharing that. Okay, so do you want to wrap it up, Jenny, and go into yeah. Okay, so Hillary, what we do with all of our guests is um, I'm going to run you through Proust's questionnaire, and you're going to have to answer some questions just off the top of your head, super fast, one or two word answers. Got it? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, so the first one is what is your idea of perfect happiness? Oh, uh, today. What is your greatest extravagance? Oh, boy. Uh, long, really long, really hot baths. <laughs> uh, which living person do you most admire? My daughter. What talent would you most like to have? Dude, I wish I could sing. <laughs> <laughs> Where would you most like to live? Mm, wherever I'm living. Who are your favorite writers? Mm, Isabel Allende. That's where my daughter's name comes from. Um, Mark Twain, John Steinbeck, Jack Kerouac. Who is your hero of fiction? My hero of fiction? Uh-huh. 
Well, you know, it's so funny you ask that uh, because it's there's a fictional character called Ava Luna, which is who my daughter uh, is named after. Uh-huh. She's uh, that's written by Isabel Allende. She's my favorite. And uh, what is your motto? Oh boy, mm. get you must get your living by loving. Love it. Thank you. <laughs> that's Thank from you. Henry David Thoreau. <laughs> Great. All right, Jenny. Okay, so we end every episode with a joy and a hustle. So a tool, resource, book, movie, website that brings you joy. And a t- a same thing, the tool, resource, book, website, movie, character, idea that, that folks can use to help them hustle in their business. So the question is, what's my joy? Something that you just love right now. I always loved that Audre Lorde said that self-preservation was the most political thing you could do. Um, and I think that that is so true. So, for, you know, for me, it's the long baths or maybe it's like a drive around town or a little day adventure or whatever it is. And some people get massages and who knows, or, or full night's sleep. But, um, but those are the things yeah, that... That's joy. Know, that's pure joy. That's joy right there. That Absolutely. pure joy for a mother. Full oh night's sleep. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And it's something I do not compromise on. I don't care what needs to get done that night. If I'm not in bed by midnight, then... I did something wrong that day. <laughs> so, <laughs> And a tool for hustle. So this can be mm. something that folks could use to help them better hustle and achieve what they're trying to accomplish with their project. I would just say don't ever, ever stop educating yourself. Mm-hmm. So if it's, um, you know, whatever online course or read a lot of books or, you know, sit down with your mentor and have a really you know, learning conversation where you're asking gobs of questions or whatever it is. Um, But just never, ever shirk on learning something new. Excellent advice. Thank you. (laughs) Sure. So where can people find you? Okay. Well, so our website um, is theflyways.com. We are also on sort of the usual social media suspects um facebook twitter instagram we've got a medium channel called emerging stories um Mm, great and that's more of the storytelling part that i was saying at the very top of the interview um you know where you know well obviously the emerging part is because this is a a growing thing and and we do the you know we it's a really good opportunity to, to tell the story about what we're doing so we're there um and then uh, we will have a WeFunder as well, and you'll be able to find that under the flyways. Oh, great. Great. That's wonderful. So thank you so much for the time. It's been just a, a real pleasure hearing your story. And I just I just think all our work now is, is, is focused on getting this message out there that there is a different way of doing things. People need to know that this is an option. So thank you for contributing to that. I thank you so much for reaching out and doing this. I'm I, ha- I have to say for everybody who wasn't there, it was we met almost uh, by accident at, at DazzleCon um, because my daughter kept wandering into the room <laughs> where you guys were talking. Um, yeah, the cutest so, little girl ever. Thank you. Never discount th- those sort of serendipitous things. I yeah, think that's probably exactly. another hustle yeah. tip. Yeah, true. Um, but I thank you so much for, you know, for what you do and, and caring so much and... Uh, you know, making space for this. <laughs> Thanks, Hillary. All right. Yay. Thank you, Hillary. Thank you. Yay, yay. <laughs> <laughs>
Soulful MBA is not just the name of our podcast. It's also the name of our premium business course and community. If you are a wellness entrepreneur who dreams of growing your business online, but you're not clear on your next steps and you wish you had someone to guide you, then we've got something for you. Get Soulful MBA's first syllabus and three free video lessons by heading over to soulful.mba sample. Sample.